Welcome everyone to the show today. We've got two great guests, Braxton and Will, and they are from the, well, I'll let you guys say, where are you guys from? The Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. Nice. All right. Libertarian Party Veterans Caucus. So now does that mean you guys are both veterans? We are. That's exactly right. All right. Well, fantastic. Fantastic. Now, as, as I understand, there's been a little bit of a shakeup in the Libertarian Party recently. Had some of the, the Silver Caucus folks here a little while ago, and uh, they told us something about it. But uh, what's your take on the, uh, the Mises Caucus revolution? Did you get to have Drew Cook on recently yes, from the Silver Caucus? Yeah, Drew. Yeah. Lucky you. I'm going to have to watch that episode. I'm sorry <laughs> I missed it, but that's fantastic. He's, a, he's an amazing Libertarian, and Oklahoma is very lucky to have him. He's a good guy. Good guy. Um, yeah, so Braxton, I'm sure, has opinions, but he wasn't at convention, so I'll bypass him for now. But, uh, you know, I, I'm a Mises member, but I'm a libertarian first. That's what I tell everybody. I've been a libertarian a lot longer than the Mises caucus has existed. So uh, that's where my loyalty lies as to our principles and to the things we're trying to do. Um, so I don't have a, an extremely passionate stance on either side. I think that um, the way I put it was the people who, you know, pour the foundation aren't necessarily the best people to build the house. And I feel like the Mises Caucus has kind of taken over at a time when there is a really big cultural shift and kind of a chance for us to start moving more exponentially. And I think they do have a much more um, appealing mindset to most young people and kind of that marketing potential to bring it to the next level. So I have a lot of hope in that. Hmm. Nice. That sounds exciting. I am not a Mises member, so uh, my opinions on this don't have a lot of substance, but I've always seen the Mises Caucus as... um, you know, first and foremost, just the caucus of libertarians who are interested in rolling up their sleeves and getting stuff done. So from that perspective, um, I hope that's the case and I hope that's what they bring to the table. I know a lot of the new leadership, um, Angela McArdle and uh, Todd Hagopian, they are not, you know, well, I guess people definitely have opinions about Angela, but I don't see them as the problematic Mises folks. Um, I don't think I don't think the waves that it caused are necessarily warranted. I think um, I think everybody kind of just needs to try to keep their heads in it. And you know, if I mean we are libertarians after all, if that's not what if that is not what's best for the party, then I encourage anybody, Eagle Caucus or I don't know, Vanilla Libertarians, you know, just organize and you know get them out. Seem appropriate to me. Hmm. That makes sense. Well. On that note, uh, talking about the Mises Caucus, how does the Veterans Caucus fit into the Libertarian Party? That is an excellent question. I'll I'll start again, if you don't mind. Um, So the cool thing about the Veteran Caucus is we're single issue. So we don't have to paint this broad stroke and we don't have to really define ourselves uh, too broadly, which is great because that doesn't make us very exclusive. We can really welcome everybody. And there's not really any libertarians who are pro-war and uh, pro-growing the military budget and uh, pro-screwing over veterans and giving them lots of pills. So the things that we're really passionate about tend to just kind of apply to all libertarians. And that's why our motto is to lead libertarians to veteran issues and veterans to libertarian solutions. We think that as okay. you know, libertarians understand these things, they'll want to take part in it and you know become active in it and at least support us, even if they're not veterans or not really interested. Um, so that's kind of where we fit in. We want to be single issue. We don't want to fight in the caucus wars. We want to be more about these issues specifically, and that's the stance we're going to take. Okay. Have there been any recent issues uh, with legislation and such that you've been able to focus on? 
Not yet. Right now, uh, one of the biggest things we're working on is with um, some Defend the Guard uh, organization uh, across the country. And I mean, that is that movement's actually older than the Veteran Caucus. We've actually we just had our one year birthday uh, a few weeks ago. So, I mean, that movement's been pretty strong for a while, but that's a pretty hot button issue right now Mm. is the Defend the Guard. Yeah, so we're extremely passionate about that. But we are just still in the baby stages of, of forming a nonprofit and that sort of thing. So those are the things that we're working on. And it's been slow going since all of us, of course, have full time jobs or go to school or do other things. Um, but honestly, in a year, it's done a lot more than I thought we would be able to do with it. So I'm, I'm happy and we've got a lot planned. And since standing up, we've also seen, you know, the covid uh, vaccine mandates in the military, um, uh, all these budding wars, uh, the proxy war in Ukraine the conflict going on in Taiwan. Um, I know there's been talks uh, in Washington about uh, expanding the draft to include females. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, we've done our best to hit the ground running. And yeah, there's plenty of libertarian and veteran issues going on right now, for sure. That's certainly true. And Will, I feel what you're saying with uh, being a nonprofit and everyone else having other jobs and not having a lot of time is the same thing with us. So, but keep at it and you guys are going to be able to do some great things, even if it's slow going at first. So uh, speaking of the, uh, the issues that are going on in the military. So I don't know about uh, most of our viewers, but when I think of someone in the military, I think of the typical conservative person salute the flag good old usa and uh you know, what the government says goes obey the law etc cetera, etc cetera. so what what would lead someone uh, like that you know who's used to serving in the military and uh, taking orders and following the regs from that into someone who says well maybe we shouldn't have all of these laws in the first place looking at things from a libertarian perspective what what causes that shift or or is it even a shift? Braxton, you want to take that first? Uh, sure, because that's a beautiful question. And it's hilarious because I don't know <laughs> if there's another organization or institution that could possibly produce more libertarians in the military. Um, and you're right. It is, it is kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, the military does promote a very strong sense of nationalism because from basic training and probably you have this idea, you know, just from our society before you even go that flag represents all these people that have fought and died for our freedom. So to kind of denounce nationalism or statism is, you know, kind of to denounce these, uh, you know, fallen brothers and sisters, if you're in the military, which I don't think is true at all. And, uh, you know, hope it kind of just takes more of an open mind and maybe some education because hopefully, you know, these people fought and died for something other than a flag. But, you know, apart from that, the just seeing spectacular failures in bureaucracy every day, the military is just such, you know, heavily burdened with bureaucracy. It's terrible. You know, you need a form for everything, you know, just, I don't know how you can out process from a base and not, you know, think like, oh, this is terrible. The attitudes you get from some people just being in power, it's no different than, you know, going to like a DMV, really. It's kind of the same situation. And um, something for me, one of the biggest things that translated into my libertarian journey is just meeting so many different people. Um, from different faiths, from different backgrounds, you know, some people, you know, in our basic training flight, we had people from the inner city of Chicago, and we had people from like really rural areas, 
And that was really important for me on my journey because I realized that, you know, all these different people with different opinions, um, I can't really know what's best for them. And I want all these people to be able to live their own lives, raise their kids the way that they want to. And uh, so it's just meeting people and kind of expanding your horizons like that. But um, that's enough for me. And because this can go on forever. What about you, Will? Yeah, so I completely agree with you, Braxton. I think you really get that firsthand look at bureaucracy and just the inefficiencies of centralization and authoritarianism. And even though we all agree to be a part of it for that short time, we see how bad it is. We see how all the waste works, um, how many people get away with barely doing their jobs at all, how much money is funneled to contracting and those sorts of things. Um, so that's a big part of it. I think the largest part of it is probably honestly the cost of war. Um, I think, you know, we were all in the Air Force and luckily didn't have combat jobs, but a lot of people have to take a firsthand look at that a lot harder. Um, I had to transport bodies, so I had to look at the count, but I didn't have to see their faces. So I consider myself lucky in that, you know, for that. But um, I think the cost of war is huge. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest one. And everyone who's in the military knows how much we're propagandized and how much things are dramatized. You know, when you're sitting there and they're reading off the, you know, the writing for an achievement medal, it's, we all take it seriously when we're there, but it's a little bit hilarious the way they try to make us seem like heroes, just doing very basic things and serving the government's larger purpose. Um, so it's hard to be part of that and not taste the bullshit at some point. Uh, do you think, is there anything that predisposes a person towards seeing that view, like length of service or? I, I tend to um, aspire to the belief that libertarianism is as much a personality trait as anything else. Not to say that I don't think everybody can understand libertarianism at some point, but I think those early innovators, the people who understand it right now, who understood it 10 years ago, um, I think people like that, there's probably something inside our minds that makes us more likely to think for ourselves, makes us more likely to dig and do research, challenge opinions. Um, and so I think that that's probably just as likely of, among those people in the military. But I think based on what you see with um, statistics of military members voting for Ron Paul, libertarian numbers in the military, that there is a very high percentage of people like that attracted to the military. Hmm. Based on what we were talking about, do you think they're attracted to the military in the first place or being in the military makes them more libertarian because they see the bureaucracy and the cost of war, et cetera? I think it's probably a combination of both. And Braxton and I like to talk a lot about what drew us to the military, right? Because I was a libertarian already. So I, I did it, you know, I don't even have any excuses to make. I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, but I think people who are libertarians also, that personality trait also comes with kind of a will to fight and a desire to change things. And um, for me, that was a lot of what made me want to join. So I think it's a little of both. It's like that predisposition gets us in. Um, so that makes a higher percentage of us. But then once we see what it, it entails to be a part of the military industrial complex, I think we're left with uh, even more knowledge about it. Mm. It's a little bit scary. I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier. If you can think of a different job, career, um, company that has the same sort of incentives as, you know, the military can offer as far as, you know, the chances of being able to travel the world. Um, the pay when you factor in, um, when, you know, when they pay for your housing, stuff like that. I mean, you're getting pretty good pay for your age, the GI bill. I mean, the benefits are like pretty staggering, to be honest. I don't really have anything to compare it. Um, so that's, you know, a part of the problem. If you want to call it a problem. Mm -hmm. It is. It's mass bribery. Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause if they can, 
I mean, I can say with absolute certainty, I can't think even today what could have benefited my life than, you know, joining the military, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think, I think is a little bit regrettable. You know, I'm not one of those um, libertarians who think, you know, the only good veteran is a like remorseful veteran. I'm not like ashamed of my service. I'm certainly ashamed of, you know, so many things that, you know, our government has done and has used the military to do, but I'm not, you know, I'm not lamenting about, you know, what anything I had to do partially because I didn't have to do anything atrocious. But uh, do you see what I'm saying? There are some people who kind of hold that belief where the only good veteran is kind of a uh, remorseful veteran. Yeah, I think I've seen that. But so, so admittedly, and I don't know if this is, if this makes sense, you let me know. But so admittedly that, uh, like Braxton, you said, the military helped to improve your life. But so then how do we square that with the libertarian idea that we should not have as much military, we should not have as many wars, but if it can improve someone's life, it seems like a, like a dichotomy there that uh, is contradictory. Am I, am I, does that make sense? <laughs> For sure it does. I think it seems that way. And, you know, I thought about this today also, you know, if you're talking about volunteerism, tyranny and authoritarianism, authoritarianism, uh, can look like it works very well, especially in the short term. And, you know, something I thought about was, you know, burn the ships. That was uh, Cortez, right? Mm. This is how we're going to, you know, motivate you is you don't have any form of regress. Mm. I'm sure that worked. You know, do I think if you had time to think about it, could you come up with 99 things that are a lot better? Yes. And I think the same thing about the military. I think, you know, there needs to be free market solutions because everything the military offers is off the backs of taxpayers and it goes towards, you know, doing, um, you know, really despicable things. There's lots of waste, lots of just uh, immoral things. So I think there are better solutions, but that might be something that it doesn't look like the free market can compete. Like right now, I think you have to broaden the scope, and, but I think surely uh, it can and will. Yeah. What you, what you asked Jeff is a really good question. I think in general, just beyond the military, but in all government employment period and all jobs that come from government, because, you know, a good thing that comes from from tax paying isn't isn't really a thing at all. It's you know, it's it's fake. It's created out of thin air. and It doesn't actually do any good for anybody or help anybody. Um, so I think the idea is to you know teach people to help themselves. That's kind of what libertarianism is more about, help people help themselves. Um, but so that's a wonderful question. So I think what we have to do is is that educate people that they don't need the government to get through life. Um, and also, you know, hope that people have the convictions to do what's right, even um, if it costs them at some point, because I love government benefits. I love all the things I got from the military, not complaining about it whatsoever. But um, at the end of the day, you know, if I had to choose, I would choose libertarianism and, and doing what's right. And that's, you know, I hope that everybody will make that choice if we ever have to. Hmm. It seems like that um, coming from a veteran, that would be a stronger case for producing the size and scope of the military and hopefully yeah it also occurred to me while you were talking that uh it's similar uh, looking at the the benefits etc is similar to the broken glass fallacy from bastiat you know you can you can see the benefits but you can't see what could have been or exactly. would be if like braxton said there were free market solutions to national defense and local defense or if you could see the you know if you could see the cost behind the military what it actually is mm -hmm. which is exactly how the two-party system works right because each party provides a backdrop for the next one to then compare itself to 
And then they just keep switching places on who's the backdrop and who's, you know, in action at that point. And as long as they're just a little bit, as long as they can just sell that they're a little bit better than it was five minutes ago, everything's great. But exactly, we'll never know what we're missing out on if we had free markets, if we had good policy, if we had government out of every aspect of our lives. Um, I never had heard that broken glass fallacy before, but I will be researching that later. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. It's uh, Frederick Bastiat came up with that one. Frenchy, but... Won't hold that the against smart <laughs> And sorry, man, we're usually the ones asking questions. So that's why we're silent. We just love this. This is easy for us. No, no, that's okay. I was, true. I was trying to think that it made me think of another thing. Thinking too much, I guess. But uh, with the politicians playing off of each other, uh, I think it was Thomas Sowell. I'm not sure how to say his last name. Sowell. Soul. You you know the guy. He's like, yes, there he is. That's the one. So but he said something like, you know, a politicians' first priority is getting reelected. It's not actually solving the problems. But uh yeah, as long that's as just can... systemic, you know, it's nothing against that person. We just set yeah. it up to incentivize them. We create a market that pays them to care about their reelection more. So what do we expect, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Changing that back to the military focus itself, I was reading Machiavelli. I can't remember the name of of the work of his, but he was talking about the uh, the city states in Italy and how the militias that they used to defend themselves worked so well because it wasn't run by the state; it was a completely voluntary militia. And they elected their own officers by popular vote. And they all had their own arms. They weren't provided by the state. So it's awesome. Yeah. And it was, as far as I understand, it was the same thing in early America. That's how the uh, militias were run. And so it's it's particularly uh, galling with all of the uh, the gun stuff that they've stirred up recently. When people say, oh, the militia has to be well-regulated. And of course, they think that means regulation by the government. But when they wrote it, it meant regulation by the militia itself. Right. And not regulation as in control, regulation as in regularity, as in consistency, mm-hmm. as in, you know, the ability to act whenever you need to. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the left will make a word mean whatever the hell they need to make it mean to do whatever they want to do. Oh, they're good at that. They are. Yeah. So, were you a libertarian before the Air Force, or are you like, are you guilty and dirty like me, or are you clean like Braxton? I've, no, I was, I was not a libertarian before. Okay, I, you know, I, I got in, and you know, it was, it was the classic, you know, oh, I'm serving my country, and uh, you know, like Braxton said, getting, getting paid for it too, so it's a pretty sweet deal. And then it started to pile up with the, uh, with the bureaucracy, with things just not making sense, inefficiencies, wasted money. And then the last straw, and at the same time, I was uh, learning more and more about libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism and voluntarism, uh, reading Rothbard and Rand and Sowell and Bastiat, all the greats. Spooner. Mm-hmm. 
But then what uh, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was the the injections, the vaccine mandates, because I was in the medical field and I went to school, learned how to read research and I could read the studies. And these studies are not saying the same thing that the Air Force is telling people. And they're telling people it's perfectly safe. Every, there's no reason you shouldn't get this. We know it's safe for everyone. But even, even back then, I knew because I could see that data wasn't there. And I tried to mention it, and I was told that that was disinformation, and I had to shut up. Wow. And I said, well, okay, that's, that, that did it for me. This is, this is not an organization I want to be a part of anymore. Good for you, man. Thanks for doing that. Because we tried to elevate all the stories we could of people who were taking stands like that. And uh, we'd like to elevate yours too. But but that's incredible because that's what it takes, just like what we were talking about. Like, where is that line between taking a stand for liberty and still getting that paycheck, still getting those benefits? Um, and you you found it. <laughs> so, it, so good for you, man. It, thank you. I mean, it was, it was the decision that I had to make, but it wasn't an easy decision because mm. I've got a family and uh, they depend on me. And it'd been, it'd been a long time in the military. What am I going to do? I don't know. But I just knew that I couldn't keep doing this anymore. Yeah. I think that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe in, rewards uh, those who make the right decisions and do the right thing. So I think that you will be paid tenfold for that. I've, I already feel better. And uh, yeah, my face appreciates it. So... <laughs> Yeah, and you don't have paralysis from uh, the vaccine side effects. So that's even better. That is nice. That is very nice. <laughs> this is going to get slapped as disinformation for sure. Maybe so. At least it's not at the beginning. Yeah, I won't put it in, in the description, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, if they listen this far and they're going to be a libertarian by this point. In <laughs> I think so. I think so. Hmm. So thinking, drawing it back to the uh, Veterans Caucus, what are some things that you foresee in the future for the work you two are doing? So what we really want to do is just get organized as far as the LLC and stuff goes or the um, nonprofit. We want to be able to start accepting donations. That way we can start supporting candidates and putting our money towards issues and events and things like that. Um, we want to be able to sell merchandise on a store. We want to be able to have more active membership. So a state organizer in every state, regional organizers managing them. Um, and just response, you know, legislative response at every level at every state, defend the guard, things like that. We want to get that pushed. Um, and then supporting libertarian candidates and especially libertarian veteran candidates, sharing their stories, educating people. Um, so we have really big, really big plans and hopes for it. Nice. Do you have any plans to target or message members of the military who might be interested in leaning more libertarian? I think that's a phenomenal idea. We already do. I don't think we discriminate. We already do message to active duty a lot because we talk a lot about active duty issues. And something we bring up a lot is, is really the rights of active duty members. And that's something even a lot of veterans don't care about because we kind of have this mindset of, well, you signed it, you know, you kind of, you sold yourself, you know, whatever happens to you happens to you. But, you know, I aspire to the idea. And I think most, most libertarians who understand this do that, you know, we, we don't have to quit fighting for those rights just because they signed their name on a line. We can still advocate for them and try to get that contract better and better and their situation better. Um, so that's also something that we're about. I forgot your initial question. Um, oh, marketing to the active duty. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I don't know about any specific events, you know, or anything like that, that I've got in the works um, or any have thought of, but I think we ne- don't want to discriminate. So we want to be reaching out to active duty members, reserve guard, guardsmen uh, just as much. You know, maybe not from the top out, but from the bottom out um, that as of right now, that would be something that, you know, we a hundred percent encourage our members to do to like their friends that they know that are still in versus, you know, the messaging directly at them. But um, like Will said earlier, you know, I'm really proud of our motto and I didn't even come up with it, you know, leading libertarians to veteran issues and veterans to libertarian solutions. I think that's a great motto. And, you know, just uh, anytime I think about what we are doing or need to be doing, I just go back to that. And because uh, there's a lot there, you know, that's uh, that's pretty open. There's a lot to do there. And I'm excited about all of it. Excellent. I'm excited, too. It seems like it's a really a very important effort in an area where I think there could be a lot more growth. And I think people, I think people don't, don't see that as much as they should, but for all the reasons you guys pointed out and more, I think the veteran and active duty area is a ripe ground for libertarians. They just have to kind of uh, point it out. Cause I think yeah. you're right. Well, people have, even if they see the problems in the military, they get that mindset of, oh, well, well, this is just uh, the way it is. And they may not even think that maybe this isn't the way it has to be. But uh, if you can show them a better way, I think a lot That's of exactly right. Thinking. We have that argument so many times in our comments and so many times it's even from veterans, you know, but we, we, we're getting somewhere and we're, we're trying to talk about how to change those contracts, how to just give military members more rights even something we've brought up, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Jeff, but um, what would you think about the ability to terminate your contract at a moment's notice? Do you think that that is um, something that even is in line with like property rights and contracts in general, or what do you think? Hmm. That's an interesting question. And I think, I think that you should be able to, and I'll tell you why, especially in this the military itself is not just a situation where you're providing uh, a product or a service to someone but it's where the military can take you and send you over to get shot on the other side of the world and uh, even if you you know they say oh we're we're a voluntary force to an extent yes but after you sign on the dotted line then you can't change your mind but there there are ways out of course sure. yeah you can you can f- get an injury but uh more or less you're you're, you're stuck there and it becomes uh, a form of a slavery if that's not too too harsh a word where you don't have full control over your body your life and your destiny anymore and why should i be able to sell myself into slavery at what point do I actually lose my humanity to stop and say, no, you know what? I changed my mind. I no longer want to put my body in this position that I did three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it's completely fair. If I've already received 100% of the pay and I'm not giving 100% of the time, then that's fair. I might owe money back. You know, contracts have tit for tat, of course. Um, but I don't think anybody should be locked in with their person to any agreement they made yesterday. And so that's something that we're trying to push is the idea of contracts being voluntary and people will come at us with this argument. Well, how are people, how are they going to keep the military together? Well, you know what, they're going to have to incentivize people properly and have actual free market solutions to make it a place that people want to stay and want to fight it. 
Um, and so we think that's just a better way forward. Yeah. Something interesting I just thought of, um, you know, it's been decided in court that a police officer does not have, how would you put it? Not really an obligation, but they don't mm -hmm. have, um, a duty. You, what, oh, is, they don't have a duty to, you know, put themselves directly in harm's way and risk their life to full extent, you know, for the public. But if you look at the UCMJ's definition of desertion, you could be executed for doing the same things that police officers do. So, I mean, um, if you ever if you ever think that we if you ever think that it's kind of like a liberal um, talking point, like, oh, we need to be a lot more progressive the way that we see the military. A lot of the UCMJ, especially when it comes to things like that, are very backwards. Like we're not being we're not whining. We say that, you know, the violation of rights is atrocious in some cases with mm -hmm. the fact that your government property everybody that's been in the military because it's such a weird thing has heard the example of you know if you get a sunburn bad enough that prevents you from doing your job you can get charged with an article 108 which is destruction of government property um so i mean it's not i don't think people are being babies when they say that uh military is uh pretty demeaning sometimes mm -hmm. and you know braxton brings up a good point about the ucmj that's big on our radar too and, you know, we don't take hard stances on every veteran issue that we can think of, but we want to start a lot of new conversations. And that's also one of them we want to bring up is people, civilians don't even know what the UCMJ is. So we want to start talking about it. Does the military really need its own courts? Is that necessary? Is that really better? Um, and just kind of, yeah, start talking about these things that civilians don't see and most people are just unaware of. Mm -hmm. So often just asking the question can get people thinking in ways that they never would have before. So. Exactly. And in the military, so many things have been done this way for so long that a lot of us have stopped asking questions. Mm. But uh, it was it was one of the great ladies, Admiral Grace Hopper, one of the first ladies in the Navy, who said the most dangerous words in the English language are, we've always done it this way. Huh. You're here. I like her already. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Oh yeah, you hear that in the military a lot, of course. We we well, we do it this way. Yeah, yeah. This is it's in the regs. This is what we do. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to plug? Yes. So the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, please join our Discord as well if you'd like to. You can find us at lpvets.com and you can find me at will4ok on pretty much everything. And if you find us anywhere, uh, we have our link tree posted. So if you find us anywhere, you'll find us everywhere. Nice. All right. I'll, I'll get a hold of those links and I'll put them in the description of the video. So we can just Thank click you. down and uh, access those. Perfect. Well, Will, Braxton, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you guys. And I wish you hey. the best of luck in helping veterans discover more of liberty. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.